0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of What Do I Do With My Hands. This one's for the mommies. um, Because it's it's Mother's Day. Um, Anyways, this episode is brought to you by the Burden Agency. (laughs) I hate myself. The Burden Agency is a growth marketing solution specializing in paid ads and already since their inception they've generated $2.4 million in profit for their clients. If you work in the e-commerce and software as a service niche, get a free discovery call at BurdenAgency.com. You can speak to our guest Vanessa Burden directly if you book through the website. That is Burden, B-U-R-D-E-N Agency.com. Thanks so much for listening everyone and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry for the audio quality, my microphone uh, decided to stop working right before, so that was like a really cute thing that I had to deal with. Anyways, enjoy. Vanessa, how the heck are you?
1: Doing well, doing really well. Um, Today has been very long, this entire week has been very long. I'm excited that it's Friday afternoon to kind of close everything out, but feeling good and super amped up to be on the podcast for sure.
0: I, I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so happy that it's Friday. You you want to know how happy I am right now?
1: I want to know how happy you are, Cole.
0: Listen, guess what that was? Was that a beer? Uh, an aha sparkling water.
1: An aha sparkling coffee. water. I was close. So,
0: no, no it it probably would have been cooler if it was off. <laughs> it was
1: a beer, yeah. <laughs> what would I actually,
0: it's actually kind of lame.
1: No, that's a good sparkling water. So great choice.
0: Absolutely. Thank uh yeah, I'm trying out new sparkling waters. Um so yeah, I've I've been I've been running through the gamut. Honestly, huge fan of the Aha's. Yeah. I, mm, may, I, may I just say
1: that one in bubbly. I don't know if you've tried that one just yet.
0: I sipped on a bubbly last week and then I didn't even know that they made an energy drink bubbly.
1: Do insane. That. Yeah.
0: Do uh, a zero a zero sugar energy drink That's that that sounds fake. It, it does sound ridiculous. impossible. Too good to be true. It, it could be a crime against God. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> enough about my damn water stories. En- enough of this this long running story. Every episode I talk about what water I'm drinking. It's <laughs> awful. Anyways, Spinos, I'm I'm so hyped that you're here. Um, but I, I just wanted to get into your your story. But to start off, who who the heck are you? What What are your passions? What sparked life? Yeah. In you?
1: For sure. Well, of course, my name is Vanessa. I am in digital marketing currently. And really what I'm trying to do with my life, besides building the companies that I own, which we'll talk about later, is just putting out like my own creations that are relevant to me and my personal brand. Um, So pushing that a lot onto social media. And with that, I'm just really trying to get over the anxiety (laughs) of getting out there and like being as visible as I have been recently. It's been about a year where I've been growing my personal brand kind of in the public. And um, it's definitely been a battle in terms of anxiety and a lot of things going on. But I truly do love it. Um, I love getting on camera. I love talking to the people that are engaging with my content. Um, And a lot of what I am passionate about does come back to that my ability to create put it out and then get a response and interact with people love talking to people and, and engaging with them. So um a little bit about me and my background there. Um really, really loving creating. And that's definitely been a theme in my entire life growing up. Um always loved writing, transitioned to photography, dabbled with videography, not including myself on camera for a little while, and then kind of transitioned to that sitting in front of the camera talking about random things, whether it's about wellness, um entrepreneurship, marketing, whatever. That's kind of where I'm at um currently.
0: I love it. I do have to say your TikToks are Awesome. They're super engaging and they're not they're not like annoying. You know what I mean? Like you ever like look at a TikTok and you're like, this is immediate sensory overload, and I cannot take this.
1: (laughs) Definitely. I try to, I try to do something unique that's a little bit different than what you see on TikTok. I try to not sell out and do the whole dancing thing, even though I have done that, because it's what performs well. But I know exactly what you mean. There are a lot of cringy things on TikTok. Um, and a lot of things like when I first started out posting on the app, it was when people weren't on TikTok. This was early 2020 before the pandemic, um, hit mm-hmm. us. So I've definitely, my, my content's definitely gone from a little bit cringy to more refined and like more unique to me. Uh, but I'm glad that you've enjoyed it the little bit that you've probably seen.
0: Yeah, of course. So wait, how did your content start? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. Like back in 2020. Uh, yeah. Um, like we're Yeah, so I was in law school at the time and I was really, really hating my life because I didn't want to be in law school anymore. So I was really just trying to find like any avenue um, that I could use to leave law school. Um, My mom wanted me to be in law school. She didn't want me to drop out. And I was really just looking for that out avenue. So I thought if I was able to build a personal brand or to do something along the lines of that and transition what I'm doing currently, the path that I'm on um, becoming a lawyer to now just having an audience that I can launch absolutely anything to. Um, that would be super ideal. And it's always been a brand of or sorry, a a dream of mine to have a personal brand and to have a following on social media. So I started off when I was in law school. Um, I would have my classes in the morning and I would have like an hour, hour and a half break where I was supposed to eat lunch. Um, I would quickly microwave some lunch, and then within the next like hour that I had, I would record a bunch of really short videos about marketing specifically. And I had this format that I use where I was on camera for the first like 10 seconds of the video where I was like introducing, not really talking to the camera just yet, but introducing like the title of it, pointing to whatever, you know, like the typical like TikTok structure I'm um, starting off with. And then I had this, um, if you follow me, if anyone follows me on TikTok, you know about the green shrubbery wall, it's been there since the beginning an OG for sure. I would turn my camera around and just list things out. Like I would have the camera showing the wall itself. And it was like a super trendy, attractive thing to a lot of Gen Z right now. It was like a trend to have lots of greens. There was a whole effect on TikTok that was like a sparkly thing. I would turn on all that, those effects that was working really well there. And um, I would literally just list like things about marketing there. So I started off like super easy format and pushing that type of content, like that same exact format out two to three to four times a day in the beginning. And um, within the the first month, I believe I hit 5,000 followers. So that was the most followers that I ever had on any podcast. Yeah, that was huge for me. And then um, since then, it's just continuous growth. And I've been a little bit stagnant recently because so much is going on. I haven't been posting as much as I used to. Like that mm-hmm. two times a day is just not sustainable in the long term. Yeah. Um, but really started off with that format. And it was good because it really built that personal brand for me. People knew when they saw my content. What they were getting, they were getting the green wall, they were getting marketing or wellness, and that was it. Um, And since then, I've I've transitioned to more like don't really care what's going to work well on TikTok. Like, let me just talk to the camera type thing. And it has worked well. Um, So I'm glad that I can now stray away from the typical like TikTok format where I I feel a lot of creators are stuck at.
0: Yeah, yeah. It seems like it was like a pretty structured format you know i think it's cool that you know you're being rewarded for you know being more you know authentic to yourself without you know putting so many constraints on you so do you really think the tiktok algorithm rewards like that much content of of posting because like i mean truthfully i'm not like a huge tiktoker i i Mm -hmm. post my my occasional dumb stupid video but uh, (laughs) yeah
1: don't put them down you are a comedian out here
0: Thank you, thank you. Namaste, absolutely. <laughs> Namaste, Vanessa. I'm unworthy, but <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, I I guess you can call this podcast my my personal brand. So like, you know, I I'm only recently like diving into like developing a personal brand and putting myself out there, trying to be you know consistent and you know paying attention to my analytics, all that yep. stuff. But TikTok awesome. is a whole nother beast that I don't even want to try to fathom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: TikTok definitely rewards the, like, frequency that you post up front. And the algorithm actually is going through some changes right now. Um, It's focusing more on different metrics, like, over time. And I've been lucky to observe the algorithm longer than I've been on the platform. So it's been a little over a year for me since I've been making content. But I was a very early adopter of TikTok way before it was okay to even have a TikTok. And that's because my little brother... He was, I think, 14, 15 at the time. It was transitioning from Musically to TikTok. He wanted to make content on the app. And um, being the big sister that I, like, great big sister I wanna be, I downloaded the app hesitantly and it drew me in. It's always been as addictive as it is now. Um, just now a little bit more socially acceptable to have that profile. But um, in the very beginning, it was frequency. As many times as you could post in a day, the algorithm would reward you because the odds that one of those posts are going to make it to the For You page and get extra visibility is just heightened from a statistical standpoint. And when the algorithm was first starting, or sorry, TikTok was first starting off, The algorithm had a lot to do with retaining people on the platform. So to retain people, they needed entertaining content. And the more content you push, you kind of got rewarded for creating and providing that content that retained users on the platform. Now it kind of looks different. We're thinking um, instead of, you know, caring about watch time, which is a really big metric in kind of hacking the algorithm um, just in the past year, 2020, And um, comments and just general engagement percentages. It seems like it's focusing more on shares and a few other metrics that is kind of a mystery. Honestly, I've spoken to engineers at TikTok and they don't even know 100% what's going on with the algorithm. Yeah, so it's it's a mystery and it is going to go back to it constantly changing. Um, You can't really stay up to date to something unless you're the person that created it when it's rapidly transitioning. And TikTok's been, of course, experiencing since March of 2020 an influx of users of all different demographics. So what it seems like they're doing now is they're transitioning more to optimizing the paid end for paid advertisements, because what I've been seeing is less of my videos getting pushed to the For You page, more ads on my For You page. And I've also, excuse me, been getting more surveys, which means that they're trying to collect their own first party data to use that to have better advertisements. So lots of things happening with TikTok right now. And it looks, the landscape itself looks very different from when I started in March of 2020.
0: Do you think they're gearing up for another like explosion of growth?
1: I could see that, yeah. And what I think it is, is they used to have majority Gen Z Um, people on the platform. Now we're seeing so many different generations. My partner's mom is on TikTok. My mom is on TikTok. My dad is on TikTok. We have so many different people hopping on. I don't know if it's increasing the amount of daily users that we have, but I think TikTok is trying to transition into understanding how they can make money from these different segments of the market. And that's, Mm -hmm. of course, their business objective revenue and all of that. And I can see that definitely affecting the organic end in how much visibility you have because now you have to throw in those ad spots. And more and more companies, too, are hopping onto their ad platform because it's unbelievably cheap compared to other ones. Don't know how long that's going to last, but they're really capitalizing on that right now.
0: Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So you're clearly a guru. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't consider myself. And so here's the thing about TikTok. There's a lot of TikTok gurus, like, quote unquote, right now that <clears throat> claim they really understand what's going on with the platform i actually i want to make a tiktok about this i was going to do it today but um straight up i woke up from a nap right before this and i never got to make the tiktok <laughs> so i
0: appreciate the honesty
1: <laughs> i was going to make a tiktok about this though there's a lot of gurus on the app that just very clearly don't 100% understand how the algorithm works um and, and that's not my niche mm-hmm. and i don't want to dive into it because that being the tiktok guy or the tiktok girl or whatever is in itself a personal brand that a lot of people are building right now. And I don't really fit into that because I don't make that type of content. Um, and <clears throat> it's also that the users, I don't know if you've been like on TikTok, the platform itself and like read any comments or anything, but the users on TikTok are like ruthless. Like they don't hold back at all. They are yeah. the meanest people. Like <laughs> it's honestly like they brought bullying back. That's what it is. Like, like uh cyberbullying is like trending. Right now on TikTok, which is terrible.
0: To be honest, I, I received so, so much cyberbullying as a kid. It was mostly like AOL instant messenger. And, you know, really? like you would add someone with, yeah, they, they'd have like an avatar like skaterboy86. I'm like, who is this? Yep. And then yeah. like I would pop in a chat room and they'd be like, you're fat and ugly. And I'd be like, well, now mm-hmm. my day is ruined. And I had to fire up the dial-up connection just to experience this. But oh. now it's like a step further. I see my, my main like scrolling Social media app is Twitter right now, and I see constant comments of TikTok, like just evil stuff. Like, oh, this person posted a really sad TikTok; their friend passed away. Just constant jokes in the in the comment section. Like, Jesus Christ!
1: Yeah, it's literally like there's no consideration at all of what people are. No, no. Well, because it's-
0: now. Yeah, I mean it's so saturated, you're now truly invisible in the digital landscape. You you can say and do whatever you want because there's just I mean there's just so many people.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's you know crazy. That's, that's definitely that's an interesting point too, because a lot of people that are fans of these larger TikTokers, not including me, I'm talking like the like hype house TikTokers, like millions of followers and whatnot, they love them because they're following them. They gave them their platform, like willingly, but anytime. Those creators start to progress larger than TikTok. The people that follow them, and I'm like talking about their loyal fans, pull them back down. Like they don't want to see them excel and get bigger than the app itself. The recent example is the Netflix show that I think it's the Hype House that they're getting a Netflix show or some content house. Really? Getting... Right. Yep. Yeah, and and honestly, I think it's a good idea because these TikTokers are literally bigger than most celebrities are right now. Like they're not it's not a joke in the amount of followers that they have like the the impact they have has never been seen before so they should be mm-hmm. getting these opportunities but the people that are on tiktok and i think this goes along with the cyberbullying conversation are really trying to pull these creators back down to earth and keep them in touch with them. They don't want them to be celebrities or the typical millionaire influencers that you know about. They want mm-hmm. them to be people and to remain people. So I, I really think that's a key there in understanding what's going on, especially with Gen Z. <clears throat> they want authenticity and they don't want people to, that they gave a platform to, to really just get so much bigger than them that they kind of lose touch. I don't know if that makes a hundred percent sense there, but. Yeah,
0: no, you don't. Yeah. You don't want, someone getting so big that they i don't know for example try to fight floyd mayweather yeah just just (laughs) (laughs) just jake paul (laughs) At Jake paul who insane that this is like what's happening right now can you imagine that like just some like goofy vine star is just like making their their little fart videos or whatever in their backyard and then like six years later they're they're stealing Floyd Mayweather a a champion in fighting just stealing his hat running away with it yeah I
1: I honestly don't know how I feel about that entire thing because I honestly it's it's genius marketing right there it's Um, so
0: good it's it's so good yeah
1: but at the same time it's like I don't really like Jake Paul and it's the sport itself like I'm not 100% sure what's going on there but there are a lot of older influencers that have been known and out there for a while, like the Pauls. Um, and then um, like the newer ones, I'm not going to remember their names right now, um, like Bryce Hall. And there's another one. Mm-hmm. I think his name is Vinny Hacker. That's getting into boxing. And it's like, mm-hmm. he, they're really changing that landscape like permanently. It's not going to look what it used to.
0: It may, Yeah. It makes, it makes sense. You know, like uh, so many people dislike them as human beings. Of course <laughs> they want to see them fight someone yeah and you know all all of these other you know celebrities are like looking at this like famous quote unquote internet star and they're like, yeah well they're lesser than me, they're not a real celebrity, you know mm-hmm. and that that makes them angry, and then they talk about them and then that just gives them more and more press yep it's,
1: yeah it, I- it's
0: just, it's so interesting to see this develop it's it's crazy for sure but,
1: I, I totally agree,
0: <laughs> yeah, so anyways. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about, you know, like how, how you market yourself on on TikTok. How do you market yourself in general nowadays?
1: Yeah. So in a lot of ways, one of them is podcasts in general. Um, I love speaking on podcasts. I don't know what it is about the format, um, but just the conversational tone in a lot of them is is really dope. So that visibility something that I definitely seek out um, in the past like year or so. Um, have been in, in quite a few. Um, other than that, what I'm really trying to do right now is of course, stay with TikTok, but really build a name as a public figure in the advertising and marketing industry in general. So I'm trying to engage with more people that are already there. And what that's doing is really just getting me into these conversations with some of these very well-known growth marketers. And um, a lot of these opportunities are coming my way because of that. So it's a really indirect way, almost word of mouth way of marketing myself. And that works really, really well um, because they're, the space in itself on cold marketing, like you are running advertisements about your agency, your personal brand, whatever, super saturated and not a lot of people are differentiating themselves. So you see the same type of ad and the same type of sales funnel over and over and over again on all these platforms. What is good about the way that I'm doing not going down that route is, of course, it's cheaper for me to obtain like my clients and other things, which go along with my personal brand. Um, Cause my agency is a complete extension of my personal brand. Um, okay. But it's creating this referral network that is super, super warm for new leads. So basically when we get somebody to come to us and we actually just closed, um, I got this email as I was taking that nap. I mentioned um, on our biggest client to date from a referral. Um, it warms them up so much so that they feel super comfortable with me before they even talk to me. So, I'm really just trying to plant those seeds and wait for them to bloom and come back to me. And so far, that strategy has been working really, really well. So lots of word of mouth and just conversations and talking to people and getting my name out there.
0: Absolutely. I love it. So I want to get a better sense of what your day to day is like. I know we were talking a little bit before the podcast, but I do want to hear like, how how did your week go? What, what stuff have you been working on?
1: Yeah, so um, I have the same routine basically every week. I'm really big into routine. Um, But also being responsive to like how I'm feeling and um, like how I'm sleeping and all of that. I actually have this thing called the aura Ring. That allows me to track in depth my sleep patterns, which it gives me a suggestion at the beginning of the day of how I'm probably going to be feeling. So I really take that um, to a T and kind of schedule my days around how it's very likely going to go. And that ring in itself, it, it just tracks things like my heart rate variability, my REM sleep these different things that you don't get with like an Apple watch, it's like a little bit deeper um, than that. But I really take that from a biological perspective. I I biohack with it essentially. And I plan my days around um, how it's going to say I'm going to feel. And um, with that, I love to, so I just got an iPad and it's literally been like the greatest purchase I have ever. I got it with my stimulus check. Thank you to the government. I'm so excited that I have it because what I normally do is I plan out my weeks like by the task on Sunday night and then I will <clears throat> distribute the tasks each day. And then when I wake up on that day, like just say on like a random Tuesday, I look at the tasks that I gave myself for the day and I plan my day by um, time blocks. So I'll be doing X from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. and et cetera. Um, and the reason I love the iPad is because when you time block and you plan your schedule like that, It's very efficient, but it's not going to go the way that you plan it every single day. Most days it's actually going to change. So I kind of use it as like a loose understanding of what I've got going on um, in the day. And the reason I love the iPad is because I can erase without having to cross out. Like my planner when I was writing in it was so messy because I would have no space and I would have to reroute my entire schedule some days. So that visual planning really helps me a lot. And I do that every single week before um, the week starts just to set the tone. Other than that, um, what I've got going on week to week right now, I'm really big into my own fitness and taking care of myself. So I've been really focusing on making sure I go to the gym at least like three to five times throughout the week. Um, Just doing a normal gym schedule, nothing really special. I'll be there for like 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Um, So just to get active and then eating super healthy. I've been trying this whole plant-based preferred diet. So if somebody hands Mm -hmm. me like a chicken sandwich, like I'm going to eat that chicken sandwich. But when I'm cooking for myself, like I will try to be hundred percent plant based. So really been trying to do that and focus on that because it's super easy for that to slip through the cracks, especially with um, how busy my schedule is owning two separate companies. But um, that leads me to the two companies. So I own a FBA, Amazon business. So essentially what that is, is I do market research online on what products are kind of selling well There's room for me to improve listings. I'm basically trying to find a proof of concept. It's already out there, but I can improve it in some way, shape, or form. And then I create a brand. I put the brand on the product itself. And then through my marketing knowledge, I will market it through Amazon PPC or pay-per-click marketing. Um, That in itself takes about like five to 10 hours out of my week, some weeks significantly less because it's kind of on autopilot right now um, because I've been doing it for so long. Outside of that, um, and a lot of that, it it takes like communicating with suppliers overseas, which is a little annoying because I have to do that after hours, Um, usually around six to like eight in the morning, I'll start getting responses um, from them. So I have to be ready for that um, later on in the day. But um, my marketing agency is my big baby right now. Um, It's been a so we launched about 10 months ago. um, And that is my full time job right now even though I'm not paying myself just yet, I would rather recycle all the money back into hiring. And um, this week, currently, we are hiring our first performance marketer, which is a paid employee. So lots going on with the agency. I'm constantly on lead calls, client calls, um, team calls, of course, and now going to be in a bunch of interviews in the coming weeks. So that's kind of an overview week to week of like everything that I work on that it really doesn't change much besides the schedule. It's really the same tasks and the same like (laughs) overarching buckets that I'm focusing
0: on. Oh, my gosh. Congrats on the growth. Holy crap. That's awesome. That's awesome, Vanessa.
1: Thank you so uh, much. Um,
0: the point of of the podcast in general is, you know, this is where you're at right now. Let's let's walk back. Let's try to get to how you got to this point, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say that there's someone out there that wants to walk in your shoes. They want to be, you know, where you are. Let's try to make that as approachable as possible. So how would you say that this Journey started to get to this point in your life?
1: Yeah. So I always tell this story. Um, Like always, I've always had an entrepreneurial bug. Both my parents are entrepreneurs, and I kind of just grew up watching them. My mom was a broker for a while, she did real estate for a good amount of time. And then my mom and my dad started a um, window treatment company. So basically, dressing your windows, blinds, uh, draperies, and all of that. And my dad has always co owned a valet company. So growing up, that's kind of just been what I've been exposed to. Um, They were never like super, super successful entrepreneurs. Um, I really saw them grind. And it was really just so that we could survive. Um, So I saw entrepreneurship in its most energetic form, I want to say because it really is make or break at a certain point, Um, especially for them when they were living off of it. And there wasn't really extra to put back into the company as I was growing up. So it was always just kind of where it was at, um, in sustaining that. Um, but I, I witnessed that I learned a lot from both of them. And, um, it really started when I was in elementary school. This is the story that I always tell. So I have two instances where I literally got suspended for like entrepreneurship ventures that I was going on. This was literally when I was in, I want to say second and third grade. Um, so super, super young. The first one, Yeah, I was really young. Well, the first one I was selling um, homemade perfume with a friend, and I got in big trouble for selling that to a teacher. And literally, like, I barely remember that moment in itself, but I remember being in the principal's office and like getting in a lot of trouble for doing that because you can't bring like (laughs) to class like that's not allowed.
0: Wait, wait, how how'd you make perfume? Walk me through your recipe.
1: So I actually, me and my friend, we had two different things. So she was putting together the homemade perfume. What I did, and I do not remember how I got access to this. I was giving her bottles to like bottle it and give it to teachers. So we were giving these like, um, what are they called? they're basically, I'm not remembering the name of the type of bottle it is, but, um, I'm pretty sure my mom already had it and I was just bringing it in for her to put it in there, um, take it home, put it in, come back. And the little value proposition to it, I don't know how she made the perfume to this day, but she was putting little flower petals in them. So people love the look of the perfume itself, no matter what it smelled like. And like I said, teachers were buying it as well. So, um, Got in trouble there with that. And the second one is very, very weird. Just want to prepare you. But I, I was a weird child growing up. But um, there were these really weird-looking ants, like ants the bug, um, outside in the playground. Mm-hmm. And I remember everybody was, like, captivated by them. Like, they had these really big horns. And I just remember being excited about these ants. So what I did was I took one, and I put it in my cubby, and it was my pet. Like, I, again, really, really <laughs> and it was my pet and everybody got excited about that in my class so what I did I took my pencil case and I collected a lot of them this is the one that I have a good memory of because I got in pretty big trouble yelled at in front of like the entire like third grade class um for this put, put them in a a um, pencil case and I started to sell them for people's ice cream money so they had their own pets in their cubbies as well so it has always been oh indeed. my god <laughs> oh <laughs> um, my god That's, yeah
0: okay that's so cool. <laughs> I but, have um, any ideas like that.
1: Yeah, cool. it, it was. I don't know if I was just, I had an affinity to it or if it's just because I saw my parents doing it um, since I was very, very young. Um, but yeah, I always had the tendencies. And those were the first two instances that I remember that I got in trouble um, for. There were other ones after that. I remember with my friend Harrison when we were in fifth grade we started this entire like Yu-Gi-Oh trading thing and we kind of created our own currency for it where people would buy these tickets from us and then they could use the tickets to buy things from our store. So we had like twofold money coming in, um, the tickets coming back, of course, but then we were also selling a lot of tickets that weren't coming back. So we weren't losing anything by selling those tickets. Um, So that was super interesting. And then Growing up, um, you know, when I was in uh, undergrad, I started off as a bio major, um, nothing related to marketing or entrepreneurship, and I really hated it. Um, So I quickly transitioned to literature, which also is completely unrelated to marketing. Um, But when I was learning about lit, um, I was dabbling with dropshipping, which is like a supply chain model. Are you familiar at all with what dropshipping is?
0: Vaguely, yes. Please explain it.
1: Yeah, I'll explain a little bit. So essentially what it is, is you find a supplier can be overseas or it could be based in the U.S. It really just depends on what product you're looking for. There's a lot of options, especially in 2021. Um, The landscape looks a little bit different than it did in 2017 when I was starting. Um, But what I did was I was drop shipping leggings um, to people. I was running Facebook ads. It was a very, very small store. I was not very profitable at all. But to me, that was the proof of concept that I could do marketing and that I could build a brand around something. So with that, uh, my friend Charlie and I, and this is kind of not the first company I started, but the first legitimate thing that I was putting money into. Um, she wanted to split the cost of like our, our first um, private label order that ended up not working out because she had a lot going on. We were going to be um, moving on to like the next senior year. And it was just a lot of things for us to figure out. Um, but that was the first time where I actually saw like, okay, like, this is real. Like I can put something out there, pay some money for it to be shown to people and people may end up buying it. Um, very, very first time getting into it. And I forgot to mention, I own a marketing agency now, the very first official company that I started was a marketing agency in the youth sports niche, because I grew up playing soccer, um, like my entire life, like since I was pre preschool, basically, um, playing soccer, played competitively, I thought I was going to go to college to play ended up not going because of a concussion that made me lose a scholarship that I had at the time. Um, It was that's a whole nother story. I can get into it if you really want to know what happened there. But yeah,
0: absolutely, I would okay. love to get into it.
1: Yeah, so basically, um, I was playing competitive. Sorry that you just heard the uh, my phone go off. But um, I was playing um, competitive soccer, travel soccer, and I was also playing high school soccer um, with my friends. We would all like the majority of the soccer team play flag football together. At the time, um, I had a Division One scholarship to play at Samford University. S A M, not Stan. That was always something I had to clarify that I felt so bad clarifying because Stanford is such a better, you know, like, better school than Samford is. Samford's like a small Christian school um, in Alabama, which I'm very, very grateful I did not go to. I just want to throw that out there. Um, everything happens for yeah. a reason. <laughs> but um, I ended up <clears throat> playing flag football um, with my my um, soccer teammates and. Don't really remember at all what happened to this day. The concussion was really bad. I literally don't even remember going to school um, that day. But a, a girl that I had played soccer with, she ran head on head with me. And my entire lip from like the like basically my entire lip split, like all the way up to basically where my nose is. I had to get plastic surgery. It was a very bad um, injury there. And I had a severe concussion um, that put me out for six to eight months. Um, I think it, it was it was po- six month period that I was feeling a lot better, but I wasn't able to return to sports for a little bit after that. Um, But with that, they wanted to redshirt me, which basically is you're not on the roster your first year, like you can still come. And they wanted to dilute the scholarship so much so that it just wasn't worth me going to this private Christian school in Alabama. So um, I ended up applying to other schools and I ultimately ended up at Florida State University. And that's where I I launched this um, company that filled very quickly. It's a marketing agency for the youth sports niche. I had a lot of connections in South Florida regarding that. And what I wanted to do was bring in leads. So just bring in parents that were interested in trying their programs. And um, at the time, I had zero knowledge on how to run a company, zero knowledge on how to put together a proposal, and all of these things that you have to do when you own a marketing agency. So that exposed me to that world, um, at first. And I really, every time I explain the marketing agency to a new team member, like an intern that's coming on board, I always tell them about that story that like burden agency is an ode to that first failure there. Um, which that first company was really inspired by what I had going on when I was a child and the opportunities that were kind yeah. of presented to me based on my connections there. Um, but yeah, there's a, a lot of instances going back to it where I was a kid and I was really trying to build a company without re- understanding what I was doing at the time. So lots of uh, trial and error there for sure.
0: <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it sounds super impressive. I mean, you know, like it seems like you 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 figured a lot of things out and, you know, you can classify it as a failure, but obviously, you know, it, it's not as a part of your growth. For but- sure. I mean, it seems like you had to figure all this stuff out. How do you, how do you figure that out? How do you, how do you start a marketing agency from, from nothing without any experience? That's crazy.
1: Yeah. A lot of it takes, and I always tell people, if you want to get into anything, go to YouTube first and it just takes watching those videos there's this guy his name is sam ovens if you're in the like entrepreneurship space back in like 2017 2018 you definitely know him because he was the typical dude that you would see like in front of his like really awesome penthouse like talking about you know the typical e-com dude mm-hmm. that see with his nice cars talking about this selling you a dream basically um but his whole thing was consulting which is essentially what an agency is on a small scale. And to be a consultant, all you really need to do is know a little bit more than your client. You don't need to be an expert by any means. And honestly, there is no expert in marketing because the space changes literally every couple months. Like it, it is a very rapidly changing space. Um, so I, I think for anyone that wants to start anything, whether it's consulting an e company, if you have a startup idea in SaaS where you really have to put together a team of developers, something that's a little bit more complex there, um, <clears throat> take that first step, <clears throat> excuse me, on YouTube it is honestly the perfect place to start because you expose yourself to what you maybe need to know. And then you can like accompany that with actual resources that maybe you pay for, or maybe they're free or wherever it comes from. So just exposing yourself to it. Um, and, and those failures definitely exposed me to more than I think I would have ever learned on YouTube itself. So starting on YouTube is great, but it, it ultimately goes to taking action and failing and learning from your failures. That's gonna be the quickest way to catalyze your growth.
0: Absolutely. Try the thing at the end of the day. I love it. So where are we on your story? Like what age were you? So yeah, you were in biomed, right?
1: When I was an undergrad? Yeah. Yeah. So I was 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, super, super young and, um, really just trying to get acclimated to college <laughs> at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. My throat, my throat is so dry right now. Um, but yeah, I was really, I was 18, super young. My mom wanted me to be a pediatrician because being an entrepreneur, you know, those struggles and you know, the inconsistency of it. So she wanted me and my brothers to do something that was more consistent and had a, I want to say just a higher general reputation to it. Um, you, you know, like, in her generation, being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily like the coolest thing. I feel like Gen Z thinks it's really dope, like dictate your own schedule. This is what I do. Like I'm on my own time. Her generation, it's like you become a doctor or a lawyer or you're a failure. Basically, that's kind of the way that she raised me. So super young, super impressionable and really hating what I was doing. Um starting off as a bio major. I was in the trenches with it, taking chem chemistry and um, taking like bio and a bunch of these random classes that were so irrelevant to my interests in general. So I, I quickly realized it's not the direction I want to go in.
0: That's absolutely fair. And I, I think it's really awesome that you're able to, like, recognize that, you know, because, you know, at that that point, you know, you you get the freshman blues, you know, and everything kind of just seems to weigh down in you, especially if you're transitioning from a, you know, completely different academic and personal lifestyle. So Definitely. how this, – this might sound like a, a weird question, but, like, how do you know – that you, you hate what you're doing? You know, how do you know it doesn't speak to you versus just, oh, this is just stressful?
1: Yeah. Um, so two things, I think just general excitement about it. I was lacking that severely. Um, with the things I was learning in undergrad, there was nothing that sparked my interest in like getting up and going to the library to learn about it. Um, but that leads to the second point is that constant spark. Um, entrepreneurship, because it's so cha- like it changes so quickly. It's so malleable. Like I'm never locked into a very set structure. Um, I, it's always changing. The space is changing. The way I'm navigating myself has to change with it in order for me to keep up. And those changes genuinely do excite me. I think that's honestly what I really like about entrepreneurship is routine is great, but I need a change of scenery sometimes. And entrepreneurship allows me to have that without necessarily changing what I'm doing, jumping from job to job, class to class, whatever it is. Um, So it's finding what sparks that joy. And I actually I have a YouTube video about that um, and how I personally discovered my own passions, Um, because when I, I had transitioned to literature, what that Exposed me to was different types of content creation, and I quickly got into skate culture specifically. And if, if anyone wants to learn more about that, you can definitely check out the YouTube channel. Um, my YouTube is just Vanessa Burden, um, and in that I talk about how I would never really cared too much about skate skating at all, skate culture like it wasn't like a huge thing in my life. But when I started to learn more about it, I was exposed to a legal civilization, which is the skate group that helped make mid nineties, which is um, what's his name's film, uh Jonah Hill's film.
0: Jonah sure Hill, yeah.
1: Yeah, I one of my favorite movies. It really that movie in civil um what's it called? Illegal civilization definitely changed my life um indirectly. Because uh, obviously I'm not into like I don't I'm not a skater or anything like that. But what it is not ex-
0: a uh Lords of Dogtown person? <laughs> what was that movie? Mm-hmm. That was a skateboarding movie, yeah.
1: I actually I haven't seen that. Write that down because I have not watched that. Uh, oh yeah, is that is that a skater movie?
0: It is, and I do have to say, Vanessa, I I was also very into skate culture, so much so that as a kid, I wanted to try skateboarding, but then I immediately realized I was a coward, (laughs) and I stopped,
1: and I'm like, I'm
0: just going to enjoy it.
1: (laughs) Skating blows my mind when I see it, like how fast some of these guys are going on this board with like no support at all, besides just your feet on this literal wood plank. It's, It's a really insane sport to me. Um, But what that exposed me to is my enjoyment for content creation and creating and putting things out there because a really big part of that culture is wearing your own clothes that you created a really big part of that is putting out content about you failing a million times and then getting that one success where you have that really crazy trick that you landed It's that that was sparking my interest, which then led me to explore. It it honestly led me directly to marketing because content content creation has a lot to do with marketing. A lot of marketers do create content, have a personal brand and whatnot. Um, So I would say filtering out, going back to the original question, the things that you're not interested in is understanding like you feel dead about this one topic that's literally how I felt in these classes I didn't want to go to class I didn't care about what I was learning and finding what that little spark is even if it's so irrelevant to what you're going to be doing in the future or irrelevant to the type of person that you are like I said no one would have expected me to be into skate culture and I probably wouldn't think about that if they saw me today either but I allowed myself to chase that little spark that I was enjoying and it led me directly to honestly what i'm building a career out of right now so trust yourself your intuition and really listen to um how you're feeling because your body's not going to lie to you it's telling you the truth you just got to tune into it
0: that is that is such great advice truly it's it's yeah it you know it's it, it gets very easy to to get boggled down by that kind of stuff and it's just a, you know it's, it's a thing of, of listening to your body you know mm-hmm. like following that impulse is not a bad thing even if it is like a very temporary thing you know
1: yeah exactly yeah and it's exactly that it's understanding you're having the impulse and not stopping it right there letting yourself explore it just a little bit further because who knows where that could lead you and in my case it was to my career in your case it could literally be absolutely anything it's just an exploratory moment and you have to let yourself explore for sure
0: yeah absolutely do you have any other like defining moments where you're like oh yeah this absolutely shakes
1: uh, let me think. Um, trying to think if anything outstanding happened in my life that led me to kind of where I'm at right now. Um it, I think it really is just me dabbling with e-commerce when I started to drop ship. Um, and this doesn't necessarily define me, but what it showed me is that I am able to do what these people that were making content about were doing. Um, so in this case it was drop shipping. Then I transitioned to FBA and the defining moment in anything that I've done content creation and whatnot is me realizing that, you know, this type of success is attainable and it doesn't necessarily have to do with who you are in that current moment. When I first started making content, like dabbling with it. Um, so TikTok was the first success that I had before that. I was trying to make videos for YouTube. And one of them is actually still live if you want to go see myself, embarrass myself a little bit. Um, it's about um, selling bo- used books on Amazon specifically. Um, just realizing that, that everything that you're seeing out here is it, just very, very obtainable and you have to believe in yourself. And even though it doesn't feel like you can do this thing, like when I first started making that content, I was very awkward on camera. I did not feel good about talking to the camera. Um, I didn't think anybody would ever engage with that type of content. It's getting past that because who you are when you become that person you want to be, who you are when you own that company or working in that role, wherever it is, is not who you are right now. So all of these different defining moments for me, exploring skate culture, creating content and whatnot, it's all just going back to understanding that I can do it. Like anybody can do it and I specifically can do it. And it's that trust that I have in myself now that I did not have even just a year ago um, because it's a constant evolving thing. Um, it is really gonna make you feel near unstoppable. And when you do feel like you're stoppable, when you do feel like you're struggling and whatnot, you have those initial failures you can go back to and remember how you got through that initially. Um, so not one defining moment, just a culmination that all taught me that same lesson that if something's out there, it's definitely obtainable. You just have to put yourself out there and if you're failing at first, if it feels weird, if it feels awkward, that's good because that means you're growing and you're learning from it. Um, and eventually, hopefully perfecting your craft with it so um definitely (laughs) leave you with that that was a it wasn't necessarily answer your question because that was like a bunch of defining moments but um definitely defining yeah
0: no it was it was absolutely what i wanted to hear you know a lot of cool personal philosophies that that kind of guide you yeah so yeah right um so what other skills do you think like are necessary in in you know getting into that that part of of your work, like marketing and, you know, I guess becoming a a Vanessa, you know, (laughs) what, what skill sets, what personality traits, what interests do you think are really guiding you?
1: Yeah. So one really big thing that I did not have growing up, I was a really shy, awkward kid, the majority of my life. Um, The ability to talk to people and just having really good social skills, I was lacking for a very long time, so much so when I was an undergrad, like I was confused as to why like my anxiety was so bad. Like I wasn't able to communicate with people the way that I was thinking in my head, like it wasn't translating the way I wanted it to. So really big skill that I think defines me now is working through that and being able to have very casual personality driven conversations with people and just relaxing. Like, that's a very big thing for me is... I had the personality i had the humor i had the charisma like i've always had it and i knew that but i wasn't able to execute on it so transitioning through trial and error honestly because i was still really awkward when i was an undergrad um but was really stepping into who i am and who i felt i could be on the inside um so definite big skill there um my social skills i think and that translates to what i do at the agency right now i'm basically the account manager and partially the growth marketer on a lot of accounts and what I'm really good at is selling people on things and getting them to trust me super early on in a relationship and not in like a negative way where I'm, I'm scamming you, right? Like I'm not trying to gain a one up on you for whatever reason. I want you to feel comfortable enough where we can develop a relationship, a long term relationship that's beneficial to both parties. And a lot of that communication, making people feel comfortable, especially when it's virtual, like you and I are talking on this podcast we're completely remote at the agency. So every single conversation I have is either audio or on camera. It's hard to translate that charisma. So opening up conversation, throwing it onto other people, and also just ultimately being a really good listener. Because what I used to do in the past is constantly focus on what I was putting out, how I was responding to people, and how that was being translated by other people. When I transitioned to listening and then responding to what I was listening to, that's where I started to see my true self be able to come out because I was very cognizant of what was going on. I was kind of relaxing a little bit and I was able to respond to the stimulus in a very appropriate way, which I do think without being able to really explain it to a T because You know, when I'm talking about those sales skills and whatnot, I think it's more of like a natural, innate thing that had to come out in me that some people may not have. Um, And I don't want to sound arrogant. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody in any way, but some people are good at sales and some people, of course, aren't going to be good at it. So it's just um, that coming out for sure. Um, In me and and sales is a really big thing. Other than that, you had mentioned in like marketing and what makes me me. um, I don't know why I'm like this, but math is super exhilarating. I'm not a math person, but math is like really exhilarating for me. So focusing on the data and and learning about data has been a really big driver of my success as a marketer because a lot of people that are in this creative field, and I do consider myself to be in like a creative data-driven field, um, focus more on the visuals of what's going on and they focus less on the numbers. And if you focus on the numbers, the numbers one are never gonna lie and two, they're always gonna tell you a story, no matter how little you have or how much you have. Um so getting comfortable with that and like I said, it it gets for me super exhilarating to get like a math, now, I guess not necessarily equation, but driving the correct insight from a set of numbers is like super big in marketing and, and has been a skill that I've developed over time. So Um, that one is, is like I said, a a big one numbers and getting comfortable with it. And, um, looking at the creative end through the lens of quantitative data is, is really big for sure.
0: So let me ask you this then, um, would you ever hire an intern or anyone who does not possess those skills?
1: Yeah, for sure. So when we're hiring, we're actually looking more so for personality than we are looking for hard skills. Of course we have requirements because, to work in a certain position, like you just have to have done X before to understand um, how it works and to drive results at our agency in general. But um, it, it comes back to that personality. When we were hiring our second round of interns, right now we have four interns at the uh, agency and they handle a lot of the backend functions and a lot of our social media functions. And um, we had about, you know, we had about 150 applicants, I want to say, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, we quickly narrowed it down by the resume, of course, by your skills. But we cut a lot of people that were not able to hold communication with us, hold conversation and whatnot with us based on their personality <clears throat> over their skills in itself. So the, the numbers thing, the data thing, um, you know, it, it's good to have, but it's something you can learn in the same way that I learned it. And um, the program at the agency is set up to teach you. How to do these things. We actually use a really good training platform that some large companies like Ikea and Google use to train their marketers. So you're coming in to learn. I'm not necessarily concerned about you being the the most intelligent person out there in the world. I just want to know if you're going to be a hard worker. And if I can sit here on fun Fridays with you and have a conversation with you, that is super important, especially for a young company and developing that company culture. Um, so I would say, you know, skills matter, but I think it comes back to your personality and ability to just generally communicate with me.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I, I truly do. I'm, I'm very tired of, of going through interviews where it's really just recounting my resume bullet point for bullet point. It's yeah. like just just constantly just like I, I feel like I'm I'm in like a rut. just like I have all of these like key points I want to like communicate. And then like, here you go. It's like a transaction, you know? And like, at some point I'm like, yeah, are you trying to hire a robot? Like what, do you want to know anything else about me?
1: Yeah, and I think <laughs> you it's know. Easier, it's easier at a company like my size where we are super tiny. I mean, we've only had like over time and it's only been 10 months, like about like 10 team members, maybe like a little bit more than that. It, it probably closer to 12 or 13. Cause um, so we had a first round of interns and we had more interns than we had now um, on deck just to help us with the launch. Um, but it's hard with those larger companies to translate culture. It's very cold. I've learned and I've gone through the job application process, even in the beginning of when the agency was launching, because there's the unsurety of like, do I need to get a job when I graduate? I'm also in a master's program right now. I don't think I've mentioned that um, to this point, finishing that out. And basically the point I'm making is it's really hard for the personality to become that factor when you have a persona that that hiring manager is looking for. And that's usually skill based. So it's hard for that to come across, especially at those larger organizations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it it boils down to, you cannot teach someone to like have those social skills. You can't teach them to be passionate about what they do and be interested in learning more about it. You know what I mean? So all that other stuff is absolutely secondary, you know, and obviously, you know, like you and I are coming from two different, you know, sides of the, the business world. I mean, I'm more hospitality-based, so, like, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a natural incentive for me to hire people that are hospitality-driven, yeah. Um but, like, even more so, it, it truly does not matter the skills, you know, like, you, I, I, the interview questions that I ask people are, where do you like to go out to eat, you know, mm. and if their answer is, oh, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, sometimes I, I go and I order from Uber Eats. I'm like, okay, <laughs> keep going. What do you get from Uber Eats? Like, let's talk about it. Like, it's okay. Like, it's that's not you know, it's an interview, but that wasn't an interview question. I'm just trying to hear about you, and that tells that tells you you know a lot about other people. But yeah, um, yeah I, I love I love learning about you know like your your background in that. But um, do you have like a favorite interview question that you ask people? Is there one that like you you just love because you know you love the answers that you get from it?
1: Yes. So we close out all of our interviews um, with a fun question. doesn't matter what you're interviewing for. And basically my partner, Christian Medina, he owns 50% of my company. Um, He does SEO and conversion rate optimization at the agency. He came up with this question. I I believe he got asked this in a previous interview um, for an agency that he was working with um, a little while back. Basically what it is is, you and I'm. I'm just gonna pose the question. You have any superpower imaginable on Earth? Doesn't matter what it is. If you, if it's a superpower, you can have it. Um, and you're tasked with counting every single cow on Earth. How would you accomplish that in the most efficient way? The answers that we get are so polarized. Like it's either data-driven, I want to do this in the most efficient way, or we'll get an answer of like, oh, well, I'm going to fly and I'm going to count them as I'm traveling the world, which obviously is a very slow process, not efficient in any way possible. Um, But it's it's interesting Mm -hmm. to see how people translate that to like such a creative question and such a potentially creative answer to their own thought process, because it does reveal the way that you would approach a random question, a random problem, a random whatever. Um, So I I love asking that question and closing out the interviews with that because it it basically ends it on a fun note and get to learn a little bit more about the candidate in that way.
0: That's so cool. Can I give you my answer?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: (laughs) All right, here we go. All right, I want super strength. I don't want anything else. I want super strength. I want to be strong. Okay, I want to be buff, but that's another thing. (laughs) I (laughs) I drive around the world, fly around everywhere, and I pick up every single cow. Okay, it's going to take some time. That's okay. I love a road trip. I take every cow I throw them into the Grand Canyon fill up that mother and then I start counting
1: Okay okay so it's more like okay. a like a surface or not a surface volume like a a volume type question where you know yeah. the Grand Canyon's this large is probably this many cows yeah. I love yes. it
0: That's fair yeah yeah I didn't even think about it like that I mean I was just trying to like scoop it <laughs> into like a, a cup you know essentially a jar of marbles <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love I that what a huge
0: you would have hired me. That would have been a mistake. <laughs> no,
1: but based on that question, we would have had to have you on the team. Honestly, though, that, that answer, we haven't gotten that specifically, the super strength. It's usually flying or, like, teleportation. Like, those are the two that we get majorly. Uh,
0: I can't wait for the day that someone's like, yeah, I choose invisibility. So I can sneak up on them.
1: <laughs> no, cow tipping?
0: Uh, yeah, tip them over, count them, run right away. <laughs> Awesome. Did you have any mentors?
1: Yeah. So that was actually a thing um, when I was in law school that I was struggling with, because when I was trying to build these relationships with my law professors, they were coming from such a traditional standpoint that anytime I would talk about my FBA business taking off, me wanting to maybe drop out of law school, trying to have these general hard conversations with them, it was hard because they're so cookie cutter. It's like, no, don't drop out of law school. Like, you're doing fine. Like, just finish it. Like, and I had one professor tell me, oh, but it's so esteemed to have your JD. Like, you don't want to leave that. And it's like, I don't really care. Like I, that you're not helping me by, like, I just wasn't having good mentorship and good guidance with that. It's really cookie cutter answers of what you would expect um, from a professor at a law school. So when I was in my um, last semester there before I dropped out, I was struggling with that. And I was so cognizant of it that I was trying to find somebody that could be my mentor. And basically what I did was through my partner, he owns a startup, he's been in startup life for a very long time. Um, He introduced me to a lot of people that were also similar to him in that entire industry for a while. And um, just networking, just talking to people, hanging out with them, happy hour and all of that, I was able to start developing those relationships, which kind of led me to the next and the next and the next person. And um, my very first person that I would call as a mentor that helped me a ton um, with the start of the agency, and we're actually sister agencies now, is um, Laura Beachy. She owns Beachy Media. Um, when I was launching the agency, I didn't know how to navigate the equity situation. And I had potentially four partners um, on the team that all had different skill sets. and I had no idea from an entity structure for the business how to do that. And she not only walked me through what she was advising, what she had done, and what she thinks is the best path forward for burden agency specifically, but we were able to just kick it and just talk about marketing and, and life and like her upbringing and stuff. And that was the first time I've ever had a mentor where I felt like I could just go hang out with you and we don't have to talk about business, um, which opened up the opportunities for us to potentially work together and really great opportunity there. But um, in terms of mentors now, I wouldn't say that I have any overarching mentors. Um, I have a bunch of really great relationships with my professors at the program that I'm in. I'm getting my MS in advertising and at Newhouse, which is the school I'm at, The network is super immense and a lot of people in the advertising world went to that school. So I've been kind of trickling my way through trying to find the right connections. And um, one of my most recent mentors, which has really helped me visualize on how to scale my agency to the next step, because that's what I'm struggling with now is how do I hire to handle an extra workload there, um, was the VP of marketing at Disney back when Hannah Montana was um, being launched. And she worked at Cartoon Network. She has such good experience, MTV and reality TV, like It's getting that visualization on how the big uh, agency world works because I don't have that. I've never worked at a big agency before. So I, I just can't visualize how to grow this to be that million dollar agency. Um, is giving me that perspective. So a couple mentors here and there, um, I don't have anybody that I would call like on speed dial right now. Um, if I needed someone to talk to besides like my mom, um, I would definitely consider her to be a mentor of mine, but, uh, there's just a bunch of people that have these different skill sets that I've tried to create relationships with that I would consider, um, kind of like a mini mentor at this point.
0: That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself to try and find a mentor, like in every, You know, either a new position I find myself or, you know, whatever, whatever career path, whoever I'm networking with, I'm trying to find someone, you know, who I can have that not only like a professional mentorship, but also that, you know, personal investment, because that can just get you so far. Right. And like, you know, there's, there's proof to that. Right. Obviously.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it it really is. That's the hard part in developing those relationships is like getting your foot in the door with the right person because you're not going to be in any like industry, the only person that's reaching out to that um, like professional to try to build that relationship. So I think it's always going to come back to that ability of, okay, we can go to happy hour now because it's worth their time to basically have a friend and somebody that they can kick it with at that point. Um, so definitely a struggle. If anyone that's listening is looking for a mentor, I would just talk to a bunch of people, um, and try to learn about them before you get on the phone. Cause what a lot of professionals want to do is just talk about themselves. Honestly, I'm the same way. And I think a lot of people are selfish in that sense. So, you know, bring up something, get them to talk about themselves. And this is a sales tactic that I use too, is allowing people to just like, communicate. Like, you don't have to interrupt them. You don't have to give your input in any capacity. Just allow them to talk for whatever reason that makes people super comfortable and it warms them up to you a little bit more. That's what has developed these like relationships that I have now with my um, professors. I've seen a lot of students struggle to actually make those long term relationships because they're missing that personality aspect of, you know, allowing them to talk about themselves and kind of bouncing back and forth and feeding off of it. And then Also, another big point that I think a lot of people in the professional world, and maybe this is different because advertising and marketing can kind of be more casual. I'd be interested, Cole, to hear if maybe this is the same in the hospitality industry, but allowing your personality to come out so much so that, like, you feel comfortable cursing on that call or you feel comfortable doing something that you wouldn't do in a professional (laughs) setting. I've done that a lot. And that, honestly, I think pushes that relationship to the next level because it shows that, Professor, I'm not just here to get something out of you. Like I'm here to chill. Like I keep saying kick it, but it's really just sitting back and kicking it with the professor at that point. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. Cole, is is it the same in the hospitality industry? Or is that like a big no, no?
0: It's so, it's so hard because I am such a huge proponent of that. I mean, I, I make it like a point, especially on this podcast that I I do want to like be the serious aspect of my life, because you know that I'm a ham and a goop beyond this, but (laughs) I do still want there to be a semblance of like, yeah, like we're just, we're, we're fucking talking. And the only way that you can do that is, is by truly like showing how you communicate, you know what I mean? And that does involve cursing. It does not involve, you know, censoring yourself for the sake of, you know, your own professional image. But that, that's something that, that people agree on, especially in the hospitality industry where there is like this like idea of like, you need to be buttoned up. You need to be a servant. You need to, like, you know, help people out because you're making their memory. And it's not about you. And there's an extent to, like, how much personality that you can show, which is super unfortunate. And I absolutely disagree with that. But that's the state of how it is now. But I totally agree with you, Vanessa. So I would love to end this podcast on your ideas for growth. Where do you see the burden agency going?
1: Yeah, so um, the main goal with the agency in general, both my partner and I were discussing this about a month ago and really understanding the growth project, projectory, sorry, that we're on right now. Um, The goal at when we're 40, about 40, like that's the most ideal age is for us to sell the agency. So in order for us to sell the agency, there needs to be a rebrand, which we're not concerned about at some time. Cause unless I'm famous, no one's gonna buy burden agency. It's gonna have to be like some generic name. So considering the rebrand, and then um, what's gonna make the company sellable is having repu- or, sorry, um, repeatable um, processes on paper and for both Christian and I to be completely independent of those processes in itself. Like we can't play a big role in that. So what we're trying to do now is, is hire and lean me off of doing the marketing. I'm just going to be the face of the company and the account manager. Um, that should be hopefully, I mean, on the projection that we're on now, that may be the reality as soon as Q3 of this year, quarter three. Um, But uh, once I'm the account manager to replace me with an actual account manager, and then Christian and I would just have board of director seats um, in the next 10, 15 years or so. Um, So that's the goal is to sell it for however many millions of dollars. um, And then him and I would split it. We may end up having another owner at some point. You never know um, if we need investment or something along the lines of that. But um, yeah, really trying to get all of these processes automated and kind of streamlining them. Um, And and a lot of that is documentation, learning from what's working, figuring out your project management, putting that on paper so that you can train people. Um, One thing that I'm working on right now, of course, we already have training documentation and a training plan put together for this paid employee. But um, making sure that everything that I would do is on paper or in a video somewhere so that general marketer can go and watch that and do what I would do. Um so it's the same value you're getting by working with me but it's somebody else doing it which allows me to ideate create more content grow the brand it really just opens up Christian and I to do those bigger picture things that involve growth at that point um but really quickly too the uh Clearco um so Clearco is a venture capitalist um they are democratizing funding in a lot of ways typically VCs will take a percentage of equity from you. And that can be a pretty large chunk, depending on what the VC um, is looking for, how much money you're getting and whatnot, lots of variables to consider there. They have different programs. And basically what they do is they'll give you X amount of money. And for a time period, usually four years, they will take a very, very small percentage of your revenue. So they are servicing a lot of clients. And um, we were actually just picked up as an agency partner with them. So what that means is they're referring about two to five leads a week to us, and those leads have anywhere between $3,000 to $15,000 worth of revenue um, per lead coming in. So there's a lot of potential, and we're really trying to close on these immediately so that we have capital to expand. And then what I want to do is hire appointment setters. Um, basically, an appointment setter is like your own personal like call center, but on a very small scale. And I want them to do the cold calling for me because I absolutely hate doing cold calling. Um, Anyone that's ever done it knows that it's the most demeaning thing like ever. It hurts your soul to be rejected so many times. Um, I don't want to do that. So the immediate goal besides streamlining these processes is to train appointment centers so that I don't have to do that anymore. And on top of this clear co-agency partnership and also just organic leads that come to us from my social media channels, we have another um, lead generation thing that's working really well. Um, so lots of things going on, but there's a lot that plays into that growth. And it really takes removing me from a lot of the roles that I'm playing right now at the agency.
0: Yeah. So if anyone out there knows how to count a cow with superpowers. <laughs> you have an interesting enough answer, hit up Vanessa. Absolutely. Again, congratulations on your growth. Uh, I cannot wait to see where you, you're going to be the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 45 years, right?
1: Yeah, thank so you. Thank you. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm very excited. I know the podcast is really new to see what you do with this as well. Um, you know, the format in itself, I've had a really great time. I've been on a lot of podcasts and. This was one of the most organic conversations I've ever had on a podcast. So keep it up. It feels really good, um, at least on mine. And I'm sure the listeners feel the same.
0: Thank you so much. now I'm blushing. Come on. <laughs> and it's not because I've had alcohol either. I'm clean, sure. babies. <laughs> Thank you again. What do you have to plug, Vanessa? How do people find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, so I am. You can find me on any social media channel besides Twitter at Vanessa Burden. My Twitter handle is at Vanessa Burden3. That's because someone already claimed it and I haven't been able to get it. But um, I'm Vanessa Burden everywhere else. And if you do want to talk, you can always set up, if you're interested in marketing services, um, set up a discovery call. It's 100% free, nothing locked in on uh, the agency website. That's burdenagency.com. Um, but if you want to talk to me personally, so if you want to talk to me, that's not the best avenue to go down unless you're interested in our services, because we'll be able to like weed you out. Basically, we have a whole system to weed out unqualified leads. Um, but if you want to talk to me personally, feel free to DM me on um, any of those channels. Instagram will probably be the quickest way to get to me. Um, but yeah, super excited. Hopefully, you know, at least one listener will come out and listen to me. I had mentioned, uh, or sorry, talk to me. I had mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that that's one of the things I love about having a brand, a personal brand is just communication and, and getting on, uh, random calls with people and just talking to them, learning about what they've got going on and helping them in whatever capacity I can. So, um, I don't bite is what I'm getting to definitely reach out. I would love to talk to you.
0: Heck yeah. Uh, and everyone else. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, You can find the podcast at What Do I Do With Show on Instagram. Um, Leave a a rating anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please tell your mom, tell your dad, (laughs) tell the mechanic fixing your car the cute Starbucks barista. Um, (laughs) thank, Thank you all for listening. And again, Vanessa, thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Cole. Have a great time.